everybody. This is Anthony from Texas Blues Alley. Uh, this is episode three of the Setlist Podcast, and I uh, hope you enjoyed that little extended introduction there. Uh, I wanted to do something a little celebratory, because uh, today I'm going to tell you a story uh, that I don't think I've really told publicly yet, and that is the story of how Texas Blues Alley came to be. Many of you know that I ran a site called Stevie Snacks uh, before Texas Blues Alley, and uh, today I'm going to kind of explain why Stevie Snacks had to go and why Texas Blues Alley is here now. A couple things about the podcast, you can get all the episodes at texasbluesalley.com slash setlist. The setlist is the kind of the front gates of Texas Blues Alley where you can keep track of everything that goes on in all the various places inside. I'm going to do my best to make this story interesting, inspiring, and uh, not go into too much detail and stuff that doesn't really matter. Uh, but at the same time, I, I do want to kind of do it justice because uh, it was a huge project and one that consumed a lot of creative energy. Uh, so I'm excited to kind of share the story with you because this is something that uh, most people don't see. Uh, a lot of people just kind of see the end result and they don't realize the amount of work and thought that goes into something. And that's kind of uh, kind of the point, I guess. If you do your job with a big project like this, people are able to just enjoy it. They don't have to understand how much work it was. Uh, but it's kind of like therapy for me. I'm going to talk about how it all started. And uh, here in 2016... It's kind of nice to to look back on what has essentially been three years of work, most of 2013, 2014, 2015. So I'm at about the point in 2016 that I was in 2013 when the idea for Texas Blues Alley first kind of entered my mind. Um, and the whole experience of dreaming up Texas Blues Alley, uh, planning it, designing it, and building it is the most fulfilling, creative thing that I've ever been a part of. And if you're somebody who makes anything, if you're somebody who gets kind of a vision for something and then you kind of have to build it, you can't get it out of your head, then you understand what I'm talking about. The uh, The chance to to create something like Texas Blues Alley is uh, it was just tremendously rewarding and fulfilling, especially to see the reception that it got. All right, so I've outlined the story in four phases to kind of keep myself on track here so that I don't ramble too much. Uh, inception, identity, design, and construction. And I'm going to instart. I'm going to instart. How about that? Might be time for another cup of coffee. Uh, I'm going to start talking about the inception of the idea uh, for Texas Blues Alley. And it takes us all the way back to 2013. At this point, uh, Stevie Snacks was in high gear and I was in the middle of a project called the SRV Style Solo Matrix. This was the biggest collection of lessons that I had ever made, and I was about one-third of the way into it. Um, no, that's not true. I was just over half of the way through it, because uh, 2012 was the first year. And then uh, 2013, I'm midway through it, but uh, I took a vacation to Atlanta, because my wife uh, has a sister that lives down there, and um, a lot of you guys know about one of my uh, compadres in this business, John Tuggle at Learning Guitar Now. If you don't know about him, he is a fantastic slide player and great teacher. And he teaches all things slide for blues and a lot of other stuff too. And anyway, he and I have been uh, kind of buddies online for 
for a lot of years since we've been doing this. And uh, while I was in Atlanta, uh, I made it a point to, to meet up with John. And so uh, we sat down and had a really great lunch, drank some beers. I think we probably talked for about three hours. And uh, it's just great because there's uh, we kind of both face the same kind of problem. We both have to solve the same kind of problems and deal with the same kind of customers and personalities. And so there's something about talking to somebody else in this business uh, that's really fulfilling. And uh, it was that conversation where the idea for change first entered my mind. And uh, so John and I were talking about, uh, let's see, in 2013, I think our conversation centered around what are we going to do about uh, the whole transition to mobile devices like tablets and everything like that. And both of us were thinking, you know, like um, if we ever do that, we don't want to give up 30% of our revenue the way that Apple demands. Um, and he brought up a really good point, which was to build a business kind of structured the way that Amazon has uh, Audible, which is their e- their uh, ebook or audio audiobook business, where you can't purchase anything on the device. You have to do it on the website, and then you download it to your device inside the Audible app. That way, all the transactions happen outside of Apple's ecosystem. And that idea kind of struck a nerve uh, because we both talked about how we'd eventually like to add a membership option. I remember that was part of the conversation. At that point, we both ran pretty identical businesses where we offered courses that we made as downloads and DVDs only, but neither of us had any kind of subscription offering. And so part of our conversation that day was talking about how we'd want to add that, but how we'd want to do it in a way you know, where we weren't giving up 30% of the profits. So this kind of model where all your signups and transactions happen on the web seemed like the obvious answer. So I left that conversation in May of 2013 with kind of a renewed focus on, um, you know, this idea of having a membership type system. And as I sat down trying to kind of plan out how this would work. Something inside of me was saying, you know, if you're going to do this, you need to make sure that you're happy with where your site is at and where it's going. And I had to really think about how do I feel about the name Stevie Snacks because it had been kind of kind of a dissatisfaction growing inside of me for a while because uh, by this time I had started going to different uh, trade shows like the NAM show, the Winter NAM, Summer NAM and uh, different gear expos and everything like that. And uh, at these shows, I'd had I'd have conversations with people who were professionals in the industry doing, you know, all kinds of different stuff. And uh, I noticed that I could never tell somebody what I did without having to have a conversation about it. Like if I told them I own a, a guitar lesson site called Stevie Snacks, there's nothing in the name Stevie Snacks that represents what I do. And I just hated that uh, something that, you know, I loved so much, took so much work to explain. And, uh, you know, when something's a hobby, like Stevie Snacks was, it started without any kind of plan. And then it just kind of snowballed into a business and eventually my full-time job. I didn't really have a chance to put any thought into the name because I gave it a name before I knew what it was going to turn into. And uh, so as I'm exploring this dissatisfaction that I was feeling, 
I realized that the core of it is that, you know, as a creative person who likes to design and make things, I had kind of missed my chance to design my own business. Um, and so there was a lot of dissatisfaction and kind of sadness, you know, as I realized this, like here I have all these courses that I've put an elaborate amount of planning into and I'm real proud of how detailed they are. And then I have to put them into this website that had like five minutes of thought back in 2007 when I didn't have any idea that it was going to eventually turn into my job. Um, so I kind of made a decision uh, to kind of wrap up the inception phase of this story that if I'm ever going to have a membership site, it's going to be under a different name than Stevie Snacks. Uh, because if I'm going to be doing this for the next 10 years, I want to have a name that I'm proud of, you know, something that a name that has a reason behind it. And so that brings us into the, uh, the second part of the story, which is the identity. So once I reached a point where I decided, you know, I'm definitely going to do something about this. I'm definitely going to change the name. The next obvious question is, well, what are you going to call it? I follow a lot of uh, kind of designy, creative type people on Twitter. And so I have kind of a front row seat to uh, branding disasters when they happen. And I had seen lots of examples of companies who, I don't know, for whatever reason, they felt like it was time for a redesign. So they redid the logo or they renamed the company. And you could tell they just did it for all the wrong reasons. And I saw how people responded to that, especially people who loved the site. So I was determined that I'm not going to make that mistake. I'm not going to do this hastily. I'm not going to do it in some sort of cheap attempt to uh, be trendy or anything like that. If I'm going to make this change, there's going to be a lot of thought and a lot of deep personal meaning behind whatever I choose for the name. So the question is how... Where do you go to figure out what this name should be if you don't want to fall into that trap of you know, changing for the sake of changing? For me, it came back to the people that loved Stevie Snacks the most. And uh, by this time, I had had you know, about five years of people emailing me from all over the world. Uh, people will tell you like their life story in an email. They'll tell you when they appreciate what you do, they write these really emotive emails with lots of personal details about what it means to them and their journey with guitar. And it's kind of humbling to see how people are willing to kind of pour out their hearts in an email to you when they find a way to express themselves through music because of lessons that you teach. And uh, so I was asking myself the question, what does Stevie Snacks represent to those people, the people that have the deepest personal connection to what I do here? What does it mean to them? And what does it represent in their mind when they found Stevie Snacks or when they go to it now? And to answer that question, I kind of had to look back at years worth of emails and, and kind of remember what the common themes were. And the two kind of common themes that stuck out to me the most were... Uh, People who said they felt like the site was designed especially for them. And that was kind of an interesting thing to hear. They There's all these different guitar sites on the internet, but for some reason when they found Stevie Snacks, they felt like this is the one that was created for me. And then the other sentiment that was kind of a reoccurring theme was that, you know, there's not that... What they found at Stevie Snacks is not very prevalent wherever they live. And uh, by this time, you know, I had sold lessons in over 
40 or 50 different countries and uh, had people visiting the site from over 100 countries from all corners of the globe. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a sobering thought to think about that uh, some of these guys, depending on where they're from, might not know a single other person who understands why they have an interest in this American blues music. And it might make them feel like kind of an oddball, you know. Uh, and I realize, you know, in some ways, I'm kind of in the same boat as they are because I'm not from Texas. I don't live in Texas, but I have this fascination with this sound that started all the way back when I was in college. And for some reason, it just clicked. I couldn't, it didn't make any sense based on my upbringing. It didn't make any sense based on where I lived. But when I heard that electric, powerful blues sound, it just resonated with me to the very core in a way that no other form of music had to that point. And so I kind of identify with these guys who come from places where they might never see the state that produced so many of the guitarists that they love to listen to, you know, like they might be living in, you know, who knows where around the world and never have a chance to even come to the stage, much less visit some of the famous places in Texas where blues guitarists came from, you know. And so I realized for, for people in that situation, Stevie Snacks represented a place where their interests made sense. And because these interests are so personal, it represented a place where they make sense. Uh, and if you've ever felt like an oddball, you know, where... The things that you were interested in don't make sense to the people around you. Uh, you can understand how they might feel that way when they found a site made by a huge Stevie Ray Vaughan nerd. You know, somebody who was just as fascinated with that sound as they are. Suddenly, they're not the they're not the oddball at Stevie Snacks. They're this was made for them. You know, and I realized how powerful a feeling that is to feel like this is a place where you make sense. And so I determined that. Whatever I build, I'm going to build it in a way that feels like a place where those kind of people can really belong. So then the question of uh, what am I going to call it comes up. Well, it was pretty easy to land on the term Texas Blues. I knew that I wanted to get away from Stevie. Uh, partly for uh, kind of copyright and trademark reasons. I hadn't encountered any of that so far, but, you know, I just didn't want to set myself up for any sort of uh, trademark issues. And so as I'm trying to figure out, you know, well, what do I replace the Stevie and Stevie Snacks with? Um, my first thought was obviously Texas Blues, uh, since that's the kind of wider genre that encompasses uh, most of what I love about blues guitar. But I had this kind of fear, you know, what if the whole Texas blues things has kind of passed and most of my audience doesn't really care about that so much. They just really like how I teach. Uh, so I did what any branding expert would recommend. Uh, I went on Facebook and did an informal poll to base the next 10 years of my life on. <laughs> and so I asked people on Facebook, I said, if you're to be honest, what role does my focus on Texas blues play in your love of the site and the lessons? You know, could I be teaching a real generic style of blues and you'd still love it because of the way that I teach? Or is the Texas blues angle something that matters to you? And almost 
instantaneously the responses came back that, you know, what are you crazy? You know, the whole Texas blue thing, that's why we love your site. Your site's the only site that focuses so heavily on that. And that's what gives it its identity. So that not that I polled every single person that visits the site, but the response was passionate enough that it told me, you know, I'm not crazy. This, the Texas blues thing matters, you know, which is good because that's pretty much all I care about in terms of guitar. I'm not interested in general blues. This was kind of, this is what I'm passionate about. That's what I wanted to focus on. So at that point, I kind of knew that the first part of the name is going to be Texas blues. But the question is, is, Texas blues what? And that brings you to the question, you know, what is a website? Uh, What you can make something just a site but does it have to be kind of be presented as just a site? You know, what what did Stevie Snacks represent to the people who loved it most? And thinking about the fact that a lot of these people live in places where there is no blues culture, uh, I realized that Stevie Snacks kind of represented a place where they can go, you know, kind of an escape. Uh, But at the same time, I knew that I wanted to have this membership angle, too. And so this brings me to a little bit of a tangent. Uh, It's going to seem a little bit weird, uh, but stick with me. So around this time, uh, I had heard about something called the Dollar Shave Club. And some of you probably have heard of that. Maybe some of you guys are members. But basically, it's an online membership thing where you can get razors for a fraction of what they cost. Uh, You know, buying them out of the drugstore or whatever. And it wasn't just like, um, it wasn't just a club by name, but their whole, their whole branding approach, they went the extra mile to make it feel like an old timey club. Like they had a little coat of arms, you know, like with two crossed razors and the guy that was kind of like their CEO, they called him the chairman. (laughs) And when they'd send out their packages, the razor boxes had kind of an old-timey design, and they'd have this little newsletter that they'd send out, and it really treated it like it was like an old-timey club, you know, from a, a throwback to a time when belonging to something, an organization meant something, like it was a status thing. And it was all kind of like tongue-in-cheek, you know, I don't think anybody was taking the whole club thing as seriously as their copy and literature would have made it seem like, I think they knew that it was kind of cheesy and kind of corny, but it struck me how much work they put into making that feeling consistent. And I appreciated it. It was unnecessarily nice to get, uh, you know, your razors in this package that feels like it's designed for somebody in an exclusive club. And uh, so I thought about this, and I kept looking at their packaging and looking at how they wrote, and I realized, like, so much of what happens online is intangible. And, uh, you know, you're not supposed to care too much about things, and you're supposed to be kind of aloof and cool. And these guys were saying, screw it, you know? We're gonna, we're not going to make some just discount razor service you know we're gonna call it the dollar shave club and we're gonna have a chairman and we're gonna make it feel old timey and you know talk about it as if you know it's the 1920s and you know this is a society that you can belong to you know all this kind of crazy stuff and uh i was like i appreciated that because it was something different you know and it um 
It made the process of getting something as boring as razor blades feel a little bit more exciting. So as I'm thinking about, you know, naming the site Texas Blues something, one of my ideas was, well, let's name it uh, after an organization that you join. You know, Texas Blues Craftsmen, Texas Blues um, Society. Uh, Society is probably a terrible one. But, I mean, I had a huge spreadsheet of names, and I would do all the different permutations of these names, Texas Blues this, Texas Blues that. And uh, one of them that I settled on for a little while uh, was actually Texas Blues Tribe. <laughs> Looking back, I realize now what a terrible idea that would have been. Uh, but it had sort of that kind of renegade feeling of belonging that I was after. But then in a moment of clarity, I realized the difference between what I'm building and a club is that my site is not just exclusive to the club. As a matter of fact, there is no membership yet. I knew that I had plans to build a membership, but that didn't exist yet. Uh, and when you hear something like Dollar Shave Club, it kind of implies that you have to join and pay to get anything. You know, this isn't like a free-for-all. But a key, um, a key thing about Stevie Snacks that had helped it grow was the continuous production, the continual production of free content, free lessons, free gear videos. And that wasn't going to stop because I had a new name. The free stuff was going to continue. And so I didn't want to have a name that implied that it was a club when in fact there was a lot of stuff that was free. So I realized that if I have anything that's named after a club, that's just going to have to be the name of the membership program if and when that becomes a thing. But for the site, I had to have a more general name that felt more welcoming to everybody. And so that's what made me think about, you know, what Stevie Snacks represented to all those people living in places where they might never experience even a good blues concert, you know, like in a good blues club with a smoking band, they might never experience that just because of where they were born. And the fact that blues hasn't, uh, made inroads into their culture very much. And so I realized that, uh, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to build a place that would kind of feel like an escape so that at least online, there was some place they could go where they felt like they could experience. So the question is, well, what kind of place do you build? And that made me think of my, my own experiences, uh, learning about the blues when I was in college and I was reading, um, kind of the history, you know, I was mainly into uh, SRV at that point. So I'm reading his autobiography and reading about how he came up through and he moved to Austin when from Dallas when he was like 16 or something like that and sleeping on pool tables and playing at these clubs and everything like that. And uh, I was struck by this story of him being at uh, Antone's and uh, Clifford Antone kind of pulling him up on stage while Albert King is there putting on a show. And Albert King, you know, didn't, my understanding is he didn't like playing with anybody, you know, and uh, here comes Stevie up on stage and he's playing these note for note Albert King licks and Albert King can't believe it. And uh, he's actually, uh, he takes a liking to Stevie and, you know, they uh, became friends after that. And, uh, you know, I'm just in my college dorm room reading about this and I'm visualizing kind of this blues mecca 
where you just walk down the street and there's all these clubs and Texas blues pouring out into the street and, you know, all these uh, kind of funky old-timey guitar stores with lots of used vintage instruments and all of this kind of stuff all in one place. Now, I don't know if that kind of place ever existed. I don't know if 1970s Austin was actually like that or not. I don't know if 6th Street was that blues mecca. Um, But when I visited Austin, first in 2005 and then again in 2012, I realized that it's a lot more diverse than, than I expected And it's not like you just walk down the street and you hear blues everywhere that you turn. You know, certainly there's blues to be found down there, but it wasn't the blues heaven that uh, I had kind of fantasized about back when I was in college. Uh, And then it struck me, you know, maybe that kind of place doesn't exist anywhere. You know, it's probably economically unviable to have a whole section of town that just caters to blues, you know. Um, So... But there was another experience I had where uh, on a trip down to South by Southwest, uh, a guy named J.T. Coldfire, uh, he has since passed away, but uh, at that time in 2012, he was alive and playing regularly in Austin, and uh, I emailed him and you know told him what I did and, and asked if I could participate in his jam session during South by Southwest, and it was kind of a closed jam just for uh, guys that he knew that were kind of pros in the area. And he graciously, you know, said he's making an exception to let me do this. And he said, you know, this isn't a chance to come down here and blow everybody away. You know, we're respectful of each other. And I, I loved hearing that because that's, you know, I don't want to participate in some sort of jam where it's all about one-upmanship or anything. But anyway, so I'm down there on the trip. And on Monday night, I head out to the, uh, I think it was called the Blues Moon or Blues Cafe or Blues Moon Cafe, something like that. And... uh so I go, and the house band plays for a while. And so keep in mind, I'd never been a part of a good blues jam before. Never. I had a few opportunities when I was younger back in Lancaster to participate in a blues jam, but this was different. This was on 6th Street in Austin. And despite the fact that Austin was not quite the blues mecca that I thought it would be, this was a blues night at a club on 6th Street in Austin with the guys that this guy considered some of the best in town that he could invite to put on a the best jam session he could for the South by Southwest crowd. And I was getting a chance to be a part of it. So the you know he opens up with his band, plays for about half an hour, then he starts bringing people up. And then I get called up and it's my turn and you know we you know play a few songs together. They uh, graciously allowed me to to play Texas Flood, even though I'm sure that was terribly cliche for all of them. Uh, but I'm telling you, it was every bit as good as I could have possibly imagined. Just that sensation of being there in that town, on that street, in that club, with the best musicians I've ever played with, it was incredible. And I realized that maybe... You know, now later in 2013, when I'm thinking about the uh, identity for Texas Blues, whatever, I realized that that place might not exist, but that feeling was real. The place might not exist, but the feeling was real. And even the feeling of walking down the street to the club, I don't know, there was an excitement about it. It was exactly like what I had hoped. And it might be a kind of commonplace or ordinary to people who live there, but for me, it certainly was not. And so that those 
that experience kind of made me think about other places that I had heard about or other places that I had been where you enter a certain section of town and you realize this place has its own thing going on. You know, one of those places is Las Vegas, the Strip. Uh, the whole town isn't like the Strip. The Strip kind of has its own feel. And regardless of what you think about it, you can't deny that the Las Vegas Strip is kind of a unique place that has its own feel to it. Uh, another place that I had been was uh, in Nashville for the summer NAM shows and for different AMP expos. And uh, Nashville has its own strip uh, on Broadway there. And you could be a block away and feel like you're in a completely normal town. And then you stumble onto Broadway and all of a sudden you realize you're in a special place. This is like the country music version of what I had envisioned in my head is the perfect blues place. Uh, just lots of bars where country bands are you know, trying to get their break and playing for the crowds there. And then there's a boot store next next door and then there's a boot store across the street and then a barbecue place and another barbecue place and you know just it that whole section of town has its own feel and so I, I thought about those two places and I thought about what I experienced down at Austin in that um, jam session and I realized that that captured what I wanted my site to be it's the kind of place that you would want to visit if it existed in real life and you don't visit a city, per se. You don't experience a city. You experience parts of a city. So I've been to Nashville, but I haven't experienced Nashville. I've experienced Broadway. That section of town has its own experience, and that's kind of what I wanted to build. So I started thinking about, words that mean place, words that are kind of destinations. And I went through this whole list again and thought about, you know, what kind of destination I'm building. And I eventually, when I first landed on the word alley, it wasn't kind of like uh, instant clarity, like, ah, this is it, Texas Blues Alley. But I felt like the name had some weight to it, you know. Um, it didn't fall over the first time I kind of poked at it, you know. It had some resilience, and after a few days of thinking on that name, I don't know, it just kind of grew on me and it was like, yeah, this is a name that it's not the flashiest, it's not the sexiest name I could come up with, but it has some deep meaning. And, uh, you know, I thought about like in the city of blues music and blues instruction, Texas blues is not the entirety of the city. But Texas blues definitely has its own feel. Uh, it definitely has its own atmosphere. And if Texas Blues Alley were a real place in a real city, it would be the section of town where if you're into that Texas blues sound, everything there was created for you. Uh, and so that is how I arrived at the name Texas Blues Alley. Every part of that name has... A meaning behind it and had a has a reason for existing. I wanted to build online what I wish I could build in real life because that kind of thing might not actually exist anywhere in real life. And that brings me to the third phase of the story, which is the design. Because once I had the name Texas Blues Alley, it was pretty clear that 
I was going to adopt kind of a um, physical metaphor with this site. You were going to come to Texas Blues Alley, and on Texas Blues Alley, there were going to be these different places, and each place, kind of like a store, has a certain focus. Uh, and I knew that I wanted the lessons place to be called the woodshed because when you practice a lot, people say you're woodshedding. So the woodshed felt like the perfect name for the area of the site where everything was educational. Now, backtracking a little bit, part of the reason I wanted to, part of the reason I fell in love with this alley with different places metaphor for organizing stuff was because at Stevie Snacks, there was, because there was no metaphor for what Stevie Snacks was, when I wanted to start doing something new, I didn't have anywhere to put it. So I had free lessons, I had courses, and then I just had a section called gear videos. And it just felt like throwing uh, stuff onto a pile. It didn't have a place where it could exist and felt like it had meaning. And so part of the reason I, I designed the site the way that I did is that it had a lot more uh, conceptual headroom for new kinds of things. And that's kind of a made-up term that I came up with to mean that I could expand the site a lot more in a way that still made each part feel like it made sense. So for example... In the woodshed, that area of the site represents a place that's all about Texas blues education. If there is something that has to do with playing and playing better, it's going to be in the woodshed. That is what that place is for. And I can design the woodshed to be optimized for a learning environment. I, if that involves making it look different, making it work different, then I can do that for a reason. And so the next thing was, you know, what am I going to do about the gear stuff? Well, not many people know this, but soon after I started Stevie Snacks, I felt like, you know, I wanted to do some gear stuff, but partly because I didn't have a good, I hadn't yet figured out that gear was going to be part of something I do. So I felt like, oh, maybe I need to start a separate site for gear so I'm not distracting from the lessons. And so I started a site called Old Tone Zone and did about, 10 videos for it, and then didn't do anything else. But I loved the name Old Tone Zone for what it implies, Old Tone Zone, kind of people who are interested in the old vintage tone, and this was the zone for them. So think of it what you will. I liked that name, and I didn't want to retire it. And so I realized that uh, part of Texas Blues Alley could be a section called Old Tone Zone that represents... If it were a real-world place, this would be the place where people who are fanatical, fanatical? People who are fanatics about that kind of tone could go to nerd out about gear, to see demonstrations of gear. Eventually, I'd like to start putting lessons and courses there, teaching people how to use gear, how to get tone. And so Old Tone Zone seemed like the, the logical place for that. And then one of the other things that I did was uh, backing tracks and uh, performances. I, I hadn't thought this one through much at this point, but I knew that I wanted music to play a larger role on the site. And so I came up with the name The Stage to kind of represent where you end up if you spend enough time in the woodshed and old tone zone. You know, you learn 
how to play to play as good as you can. You learn how to use your gear and maybe you end up with a band and you end up on the stage. And so those three sections, a place for lessons, a place for gear and tone, and a place for music, uh, that those three things kind of cemented you know, the direction I was going to go with the site. And then eventually I realized, well, if you're visiting a new place and you need to go somewhere for help, what do you look for? You look for like the visitor information center or you look for headquarters. That's kind of like the place of safety where you know that people are going to know what they're talking about if you need help. And so that's where I came up with kind of the fourth, fourth place uh, headquarters, which is where you have FAQs, guides, the support link, information about the site, the history, and all that other kind of stuff. And so that is why the design of the site is the way that it is, because I wanted to capture the feeling of a real world place where you would go if it existed in real life. So once I had this uh, kind of conceptual design down, uh, that's when I actually started talking about it to, to people. A select few group of people heard about Texas Blues Alley before I actually started building it in January of 2014. So this whole planning that I've been talking about, the 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 inception, the the what were the phases here? Inception, identity, and design, this all happened throughout the year in 2013. As I'm wrapping up the second half of the SRV style solo matrix uh, lesson collection, I'm like planning out what the future of my site is gonna be. And so in January 2014, I decided this is the time to actually do it. And so I uh, talked with a few people. One of them was Brian Wampler, because uh, I saw him out at NAM, And another one was uh, Jim Dalrymple, who runs a site called Loop Insight, uh, which is an Apple News reporting site. And uh, the response that I got from them was kind of cautiously optimistic. They liked the idea. Uh, Jim was a little concerned that I leave some ties to Stevie Snacks for the people who were familiar with that name. Uh, And Brian, one of the first things that he latched onto when I told him about what I was planning was the idea that, you know, now if you want to add something new, you just have to figure out which place it belongs in, you know? Uh, And so I knew that my metaphor of organizing content uh, was something that people could latch onto. So here I am in January and I'm ready to build this site. And uh, my wife was, of course, asking me, you know, how long do you think this is going to take? And I couldn't give her any deadlines. And I was telling her, you know, it's going to be this. I'm going to have the woodshed and the old tone zone. And I'm going to have a membership thing. And I knew at that point already that the membership was going to be called TXBA Locals. Uh, And she wisely recommended that I not try and do it all at once. She said, don't introduce a brand new site and a brand new business model all at the same time. She said, why don't you build the site and first get people on board with the concept of Texas Blues Alley. And once they're comfortable with that, then introduce the membership option so that you're not introducing too many changes at once. And that turned out to be incredibly practical advice because if I had tried to build it all at once, I would have got it wrong. Not to mention that the software that I needed to actually do the membership part didn't even exist yet. So I sat down and spent most of my days lying flat on my back on the couch with my laptop. Uh, Coding in uh, Expression Engine is the system that I use. And uh, 
I did so much work taking content from Stevie Snacks and organizing it into the new structure. I became kind of a wizard with text editors and CSV files and XML documents and all this other kind of stuff. And I don't know, it was really, really fun. And when I say it was incredibly rewarding from a creative standpoint, it was also very rewarding from a web designer standpoint, you know, because this was the biggest site I had ever built. It had the biggest dream behind it. Uh, And I know it just started coming together. Now, it kind of burned me out a little bit because I had also agreed to do a course for TrueFire and had been putting it off for a while. And I felt like I can't keep putting this off or I'm going to kind of fall from good graces with them. Uh, So not many people realize this, but the week before I intended to launch Texas Blues Alley is when I went down to True Fire to shoot my 50 Monster SRV licks. <laughs> and uh, the site was pretty much ready to go, but I'm on my way back from the trip. And I think I had announced it already. I put out a video called Goodbye Stevie Snacks where I basically told people that I'm shutting down Stevie Snacks and I'm I'm relaunching as Texas Blues Alley. And so people knew it was coming, but I hadn't announced a hard date yet. I just said it's coming soon. Um, And so I'm sitting in the airport on the way back from Florida where I was shooting with True Fire. And uh, I was supposed to launch Texas Blues Alley the very next day. And I realized... This is ridiculous. Like, this is the biggest thing that I've ever done with this business. And I'm going to launch it the day after coming back from a trip? Like, that's ridiculous. That's that's doing myself a disservice. You know, all the months of planning and work that went into this, i got to celebrate a little bit. And that's one of the areas that I've struggled with the most is when you work by yourself you forget that it's important to celebrate things that you finish because nobody is there to celebrate it for you. And if you work for a company, you might be used to other people handling the celebration aspect when you finish a big project. But when you work by yourself, if you don't do it, you can finish a project that took you a year and the next day be working on the next project like nothing happened. And I realized, no, this is stupid. I'm sending a very poor message to people if I launch this thing without any sort of promotion. And so that's where I came up with the idea of doing the big gear giveaway. So I pushed back the launch by a week and uh, put together this $2,000 worth of gear and lessons giveaway and got, you know, stuff from uh, Earthquaker sent a pedal, uh, Wampler sent a pedal, um, Creation Audio Labs sent a couple things. Uh, Zex Coil sent a set of pickups. And uh, then I announced uh, the big giveaway on the day that the site launched. And uh, we were kind of off to the races. Uh, and that first year was real hectic because everything, all the work that I had done on Stevie Snacks didn't really matter at Texas Blues Alley because I had to redo the branding for everything. You know, now I had this thing called Tone Tuesday, a more official version of the gear videos that I used to do at Stevie Snacks. But those videos needed a format and they needed a new look 
and the free lesson Friday videos had a title now and that needed a new look and when's my next course going to come out and uh, so everything I was doing I was doing for the first time which is always the hardest time to do something because you haven't made the decisions yet once you do it once then you just repeat those decisions after that and it becomes a lot easier but the whole rest of that year was uh was spent doing things for the first time. Uh, later that year, I actually uh, redid the store because when I launched the site, I had an existing store for Stevie Snacks and it was too much to try and build this brand new site and build a brand new store into it. So I just redid the site and I kept the store basically still hosted on a third-party system. Uh, I was using Shopify at the time. And... Uh, I just redid the store to match the look of the site. Uh, but there were some things that I wanted to do with my store that I couldn't do in a third-party system. For example, I didn't want people to have to have accounts in multiple places. So um, later in 2014, I did about another month's work uh, integrating the store e-commerce functionality into the same system that runs the actual website. And so then I finished that just in time to put out some course, mini courses and uh, the first Jimmy's Influence course by Christmas. So then here I am at the end of 2014, burnt out, uh, but with the site doing, you know, the reception of the site had been great, but there was still that last piece that was missing. I had the site done. I had the store integrated the way that I wanted, but there was this membership system. And thankfully... Because I waited, like my wife suggested, the software that I needed became available in late 2014. So for the first four months of 2015, I dreamt up the uh, TXBA Locals program. And uh, as part of that process, I built the uh, Pro Player, which is the uh, online player that people use to you know, look at the interactive tablature, watch videos, has looping, slow motion, all that other kind of stuff. And once that part was done, once the membership system was done, I felt like Texas Blues Alley was finally fully realized because everything that I had envisioned back in 2013 on that day when I was sitting there talking with John Tuggle down in Atlanta, I was finally done building all of that. Um, and then almost as soon as that was done, my wife and I moved and we moved to this property with barn and I've been busy with the barn and having a new baby ever since. So <laughs> that feeling of being done didn't last very long. But as I sit here today in June of 2016, I'm looking back at three years of dreaming and planning and building and just, man, what a great fulfilling process it has been uh, to build this and to see where it's gone and now to have this facility to kind of take it to the next level. Um, I don't know. People talk about living your dream, but I'm not living my dream because I never dreamed that this would be possible. But I'll repeat what I said in the first episode. I am bound and determined to be the best steward of this business and this uh, facility that anybody could be and to make the most of it and really to fulfill that original vision for Texas Blues Alley, which was to build online the place that I wish I could build in real life that fanatics of Texas blues would want to visit if they could. Um, 
So anyway, that's the story behind Texas Blues Alley. That's the thought process and the dreaming that went into it. Um, I hope that's inspiring to anybody out there who who builds stuff, who uh, is kind of a creative-minded person. Uh, and if nothing else, hopefully that gives you a little bit more insight as to why the site is the way that it is, why I take it so personally, and uh, some of the decisions that I make. So uh, as Paul Harvey used to say, now you know the rest of the story. See you next time. Thank mm-hmm. you.